Burgers are best fresh from the grill. Well, more specifically, burgers with Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. It's so rich and creamy that it instantly makes any burger irresistible. And what backyard barbecue is complete without some potato salad? Not just any potato salad, of course. Potato salad highlights the rich, creamy goodness of Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. So if you want to take your barbecue season to the next level, stock up on Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. For great recipe ideas, visit hellmans.com. They say every dog has its day, but when you're Lulu and your parents drive a Camry, every day is your day. The roomy rear seat is the perfect, whoa, is that the dog park? Backseat besties, it's a Camry vibe. The all-new, all-hybrid Camry. Toyota, let's go places. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Live Podcast. It's your man, MG, Marcus Grant. And we had actual football play, but the, we'll get to that a little bit later. In the meantime, behind the glass, as always, it is producer Christina. Christina, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. How was your weekend? It was pretty good. Was it? Hot, but pretty good. Anything special for the weekend? Uh, uh, not really. Just hanging out. Very good. Very good. I went to the uh, I went to the museum actually. I went to go check oh, out the uh, nice. this Egyptian exhibit at the Getty. Um, which I love the Getty, except the thing about it is because it's on top of a hill, it's that much closer to the sun. And on a weekend <laughs> like this, it's uh, always so crowded too. Right. Exactly. Um. So, but it was fun. Otherwise, it was a good weekend. Uh. But in the studio with me today, we've had a rotating group of guests, which has been fun. Um. A man that you have seen across NFL Network for the last couple of years, a guy who does fantastic work, and a guy who will be joining us. On NFL Fantasy Live this season, Marcus Took, how are you? I'm well, Marcus Grant, and I love the fact that it's Marcus Grant and Marcus Took. Right. Rocking it today. Right. On the podcast. Uh, I feel like this is like Christmas Eve. Okay. We're just counting down the hours mm-hmm. until Christmas morning, which would be the start. Right. Of the regular season. We should create like a, a football advent calendar or something, <laughs> you know, like they do for Christmas. <laughs> so, but like- when you open it up, what if it was like a tailgate themed Food item. Right. That'd it's be a great. nacho one day. A chicken wing. A bratwurst, a yeah, chicken wing. Something like that. That's you know, fantastic. cold beer here, unlike the night before. <laughs> right. I think we're on to something. This is how we make our millions. Copyright. Exactly. Well, we, as I mentioned, did have some football. We will talk about the Hall of Fame game and some of our takeaways from that. Even a little bit about the, the helmet rule, because I know that was a big topic of conversation uh, over the weekend as well. Uh, we will go to the lab a little bit and uh, talk to Graham Barfield, who if you don't know, he is uh, the inventor of the yards-created statistic. We'll get his thoughts on some of the rookie running backs in this year's class, also some wide receivers, and uh, kind of get his thoughts on that. Really smart guy, and uh, looking forward to talking to him as well. But first, let's talk about some news, huh? Let's do the news. All right, so <laughs> we will start... In Pittsburgh, Antonio Brown is uh, being called day-to-day with an undisclosed injury. He was sent back to Pittsburgh last week for evaluation. 
The Steelers are being so secretive about it. Mike Tomlin won't even specify which body part is injured. Mispractice for a fourth straight day on Saturday. Now, the team's saying it's not really a big deal, but, I mean, Mark, it's Antonio Brown. It feels like him not being there is always going to be a big deal. It, it does, although I do wonder, out of all of their receivers, if there were a guy that could miss time, then it wouldn't affect his regular season play if it's him. Uh, I, I think, for me, it's a bigger question about how you get all the receivers in the receiving core on the same page. Obviously, it gives a guy like James Washington a chance to get a little bit more work, but, I, I mean, you never want – to see your star all-world receiver sitting on the sidelines. Right, no, exactly. I know for, for fantasy folks, any in the fantasy world, any injury, any time a guy misses oh. time, it is, it's nearly Armageddon, like, you know, especially a guy If like you're Antonio in a keeper Brown. league, too, and Antonio right. Brown's your guy, then you're like... You are, I mean, literally, you are refreshed, refreshing refreshed. all the time, making sure everything's okay. I will say that I, I, I'm going with the Steelers on this one. If they're saying it's not a big deal... I'm going to say it's not a big deal. We are still literally a month away from, from any real game. Right, and we haven't heard any rumors that, that uh, they've been starting to talk to Des Bryant's folks. Right. So that that right. <laughs> means maybe, all right, we can bump the brakes. They're not looking for anybody to fill any holes uh, at their wide receiver one Right, position. exactly. So, you know, Antonio Brown, still a first-round pick. But I do think you, you mentioned James Washington, too. He's a guy who is – now he gets more snaps, he gets mm-hmm. more work, and so maybe this – kind of speeds that development along. I mean, we saw Juju Smith-Schuster have a great you know, year last year, so maybe they work another young wide receiver. What What is it about dynamic wide receivers where when they put on the Steelers uniform, they explode? We have seen that time and time again, and, and maybe James Washington could be a guy to do that this year. Maybe. I mean, I just having watched him at Oklahoma State, man. Yeah. Yeah. He, he I mean, can like, flat out fly. He can fly. It's, it's funny, too, because I, I look at him. He's sort of – because he's built a little bit odd. He's kind of mm-hmm. you know top-heavy a little bit. And then he wears number 28, so he looks kind of like a running back. Yeah. Went out wide a little bit. A little bit strange there. Uh, over to New England, Sony Michelle had a knee procedure. Uh, they're calling it a minor procedure to drain fluid from the knee. I always say a minor procedure is what happens to someone else and not to you. Right. Um, he is expected to be back in time for week one, but it's a crowded backfield. Rex Burkhead, James White, Mike Gillisley, Jeremy Hill all on the roster. Uh, and we know, you know, certainly Bill Belichick is very strict about his guys being in camp and getting time. They spent the first-round pick on him. I mean, is it, do you think it's something to worry about that he's not here or what? Well, I, obviously, if you are a Patriots fan and you've seen a team that has a rotating stable of running backs through the years, you've never had that guy that's mm-hmm. around for, you know, six-plus years on the roster just toting the rock. <laughs> right. Uh, you're excited to see – a talent like Sony Michelle drafted where he is, amazing uh, running back out of Georgia. And and then this happens and you think, man, I, I don't know what to expect. That's if you're a Patriots fan. If you're a fantasy owner and you're thinking about where Sony could maybe fit, already he's a Patriot. So you know that you don't know what you're going to get <laughs> right. week to week. Right. So this just, just muddies an already unclear situation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we you know, I feel like we – Every time we start to kind of figure out the Patriots' backfield, there's mm-hmm. some wrinkle that gets thrown in there a little bit. This is kind of one of them. Actually, he's a guy, and, and we'll talk to Graham Barfield a little bit later, but he was a guy that kind of scored very well in Graham's charting. Um, and I'm curious to see what you know how Graham thinks about this. But Sonny Michelle's a guy that I think fantasy guys would really love. Mm-hmm. You know, we love his ability. We love the fact that he can kind of be a dual threat. They've kind of called him a new Deion Lewis Um so I think it's just a matter of seeing him out there now. Do, do you, how much for you also is is Tom Brady's age and the fact that, hey, look, this offense would love to be able to find balance, to ask him to do a few less things? I think there's some of that. I think there's also the fact that the wide receiver position is really unsettled right now. I mean, you know, they've got Chris Hogan, but, you know, Julian Edelman is suspended for yep. a few games. 
and the rest of that group around him is pretty new. I mean, you know, sure, Gronk's going to be there, but they're really trying out a lot of pass catchers. And Sony Michelle was the guy who could take some of that burden off of him, too. Yeah, and you think, too, hey, we've got a young guy, uh, fresh legs, who was amazing again in the collegiate ranks. If he could provide a spark, well, you want to see that spark now. Right. You want to see it in preseason so that you can figure out, hey, what could we possibly do with him right. exactly. this season? Exactly. Uh, down to Cleveland, Corey Coleman, who was a first-round pick just a couple years ago in 2016, is no longer a Cleveland Brown. He was traded to the Buffalo Bills for a seventh-round draft pick. Coleman's biggest issue in Cleveland was injuries, a couple of hand injuries uh, in, in two seasons, played just 19 games, 56 catches, 718 yards, five touchdowns in those two seasons. I know the first, the, the knee-jerk reaction is, wow, the Browns kind of flubbed another one again. Um, but I think for, 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 for Cleveland, does this open the door for Des Bryant to get there, do you think? I, I mean, we've had the the – signs pointing to Des to Cleveland for a while. <laughs> right. This certainly doesn't make you think any less that that's going to happen. I mean, right. this is a, a situation where, again, you have major question marks about your offensive playmakers going into the season. Right. I mean, how many years has that been the running story about Cleveland in August? It, it has been – It is. I feel like it's been the story of the Browns since they came back to Cleveland. I mean, since they were reinstated as the Browns, you know, everybody jokes about the long list of quarterbacks, but the skill position guys in general have not worked out for this team. But I, I also I have felt like watching Corey Coleman uh, at Baylor and then seeing him get picked up by Cleveland, I thought it was a little bit of a head-scratcher to begin with because mm-hmm. he's one of those guys, I mean, he can flat-out fly, take the top off of a defense, but you've got to have a quarterback that consistently, one, has time to put the ball up where he can get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's not the the 50-50 ball guy he's he, that's not what he does so it felt like it was a weird fit round peg square hole in Cleveland to begin with so uh, I mean maybe this is one of the situations where it works out best for both if somehow Cleveland moves in a different direction if Dez is able to be their guy and can produce and if Corey Coleman feels like he can be a more consistent part of an offense in Buffalo. Well, now you talk about the quarterback situation too, and and somebody made the point on Twitter. The the quarterbacks Corey Coleman had to work with. He got eight and a half games of Deshaun Kaiser, five games of, of Robert Griffin the third, a couple games of Josh McCown, one game of of Cody Kessler, and then one game of kind of a McCown Kessler hybrid sort of thing. So it's not he hasn't had the greatest quarterbacks to work with to sure. begin with. And now he's going to to Buffalo where their quarterback situation I know they spent what, the seventh pick on Josh Allen. But that's still a very unsettled quarterback situation there in Buffalo, too. Oh, absolutely. Well, but part of it, too, is – and, again, I haven't watched every single Corey Coleman snap in right. a Browns uniform because why would you? Because why would you? <laughs> but, but you know, if he's the kind of guy that you think is the deep threat, then you also need a situation where, hey, we've got a running game where play action works for us or, or an offensive line where we have a, a, a bit of time to put the ball up deep and let him go get it. So it's not even just the quarterback. It's can this offense, is he a fit in this offense in general, which of course remains to be seen. Right. And so I know Corey Coleman right now is a guy who's not really getting drafted in a whole lot of fantasy leagues. I know there was a you know, the concerns of a log jam in Cleveland with Josh Gordon and Jarvis Landry and whoever else may be there. Uh, I think I think you'll start to see people maybe take a shot at him late in drafts now that he's in Buffalo and there are going to be more opportunities because it's – Right now, it's it's Kelvin Benjamin and Corey Coleman, so maybe this helps his draft stock a little bit, but I, I agree with you, Mark. There's just so many questions in that offense that you just really wonder exactly uh, how he fits in. 
over to the Cowboys, and, and this is great that we have you here, you being one of the big Cowboy fans in our building here, Tavon Austin lining up everywhere except the backfield, which maybe doesn't sound weird except for the fact that when Austin was traded to the Cowboys in April for a sixth-round pick, he was being called a, quote, web back, whatever that means. Yep. Uh, you know, there was talk he'd be a running back. He would do some different things. He's lined up almost exclusively as a wide receiver. Uh, had a career-high 509 receiving yards in 2016, just 47 receiving yards last year with the Rams. Uh, what, one, what, what is, do you know what a web back is? Do you have any idea what, what this is? I mean, he's that hybrid guy out of the backfield. Uh, I mean, you know, every team seems like they use different terminology for guys that are, are kind of those hybrid guys. But, I mean, look, he Tavon Austin's never going to be a guy who's going to tote the rock right. for you. He's one of those guys that you want to get the football in space so he can do Tavon Austin things. Obviously, he wants a fresh start in Dallas. Dallas fans, and I think I can speak – <laughs> for the group, uh, we are an optimistic bunch that are trying to convince ourselves that this is the year we go back to the Super Bowl, and Tavon Austin is the the missing piece. He's the key, right? Look, I, I think there's a lot more cause co- for concern in Dallas uh, and its receiving core as a whole than uh, optimistic Cowboys fans will let themselves buy into. But if you want to talk yourself into Deontay Thompson, Terrence Williams, Tavon Austin, Alan Hearns, Cole Beasley, and Michael Collins getting the job done, <laughs> um, you know. But this means there. I mean, this means there is an opportunity there, though, for for Austin to be a. Play. I mean, we. I know we've never seen it on the NFL level. We haven't seen it since West Virginia. But those names you mentioned. I mean, Alan Hearns is probably number one. I know Michael Gallup's getting a lot of love, but there's an there is an opening for Tavon Austin to be a playmaker. Here. Yeah, yeah. I, I, again, I think this is more about what's Tavon Austin going to do than how is Dallas going to use him. Okay. Because if, if he is able to, you know, step up his game and show, we've seen flashes, mm-hmm. but show consistency that we saw at Western Virginia, which feels like it was a, a long time ago, exactly <laughs> that long ago. Um, yeah, maybe he can be that kind of guy. I mean, we saw flashes from Cole Beasley doing that in the uh, past few years. He's been, a, I think, a, one of Dak Prescott's underrated uh, weapons, a guy with the football in his hands that can do some things. Uh, but, again, whether he lines up in the backfield, in the slot, if you're able to see him on the outside, I, I just feel <laughs> like there's so many question marks about him and about this wide receiver core in general right. that we we need to see – a month worth of game action. And I feel like he's going to be one of those guys. And the Cowboys offense in general is going to be one of those things, I think, as we go through the preseason, will be interesting to keep an eye on just to see how this thing works now. To, to me, though, and this speaks to a bigger issue that I have had with this Cowboys offense recently, is when have you watched Dallas's offense and thought to yourself, man, they're dynamic. They are really, <laughs> they're really doing things to keep other defenses on their heels. To me, they were playing football 101. Mm-hmm. Run the football behind a great offensive line with an all-world running back. Right. That opens up the passing game. There you go. And and that's how they were able to win games because they were just better at all those positions. Well, offensive line took a step back last year. Mm. Obviously, Zeke Elliott wasn't on the field as much. They expect to have him for 16 games this year, healthy, all that good stuff. Great. Maybe that's the key. But Dallas being able to figure out a way to scheme their personnel to take advantage of an opposing defense's weaknesses, I don't have a lot of faith that that's what this team is geared toward doing. Right. We see on the defensive side of the football, Rod Marinelli uses those pieces and is able to, through duct tape and smoke and mirrors, put a defense on the field. They, they've overachieved, I think. Yeah, I, I don't see the same level of, of scheme on the offensive side of the football. Yeah. And I think they're going to need that with this cast of guys. Right, you know, I, I, 
for 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 you know for fantasy folks, the obviously Zeke is a guy who's he's coming off the board in the first two or three picks in just about every draft. You know, Dak is a guy who's getting drafted maybe later. Beyond that, there's just no. We're still waiting to see who else we can count on offensively. I mean, w- w- just based on what you saw from Alan Hearns uh, in Jacksonville coming over to Dallas, what what's your? I that, mean, I think again, that's a guy that Cowboys fans are thinking. Oh, he's going to come here and he's going to ball out. I mean, he's a he's a mid round guy. I think he's like a ninth, tenth round guy. And I think as long as he's healthy, I think he can. I mean, his problem in Jacksonville was staying on the field occasionally, but he's going to absorb a ton of targets there mm-hmm. because. Where else does that go with the football uh, occasionally? So and we haven't even talked about tight end yet. Yeah, so. and, you know, and I think there's like five guys playing the tight, five or six guys there they have in camp at the tight end spot, all looking to see who's going to replace Jason Witten. Um, you know, I know that the legend of Rico Gathers has been growing. You know, Blake Jarwin is getting some love, but there's no clear cut favorite. Right well, now. and and I feel like you can look at different quarterbacks around the league and you can say, hey, here Ben Roethlisberger can take advantage of this type of wide receiver. Like, the, this is a great pairing. This quarterback needs this kind of wide receiver. I, I'm still not sure w- who the Dak Prescott-friendly wide receiver prototype would be. Right. Yeah, I, I don't think we know yet. Yeah. I don't think we know yet. So, I, yeah, again, I think preseason will, will start to tell us a lot about this Dallas offense. So I think we're going to watch, uh, especially the Thursday they get going against the 49ers. Um, and that will be an interesting one to watch. More training camp scuttlebutt. I just want to throw this in here. Leonard Fournette, who last uh, week we had on our best shape of his life list, uh, down from <laughs> two twenty three down to two twenty three from two thirty five. He says he's healthier uh, and he's ready to run over some folks this year. So we'll keep an eye on that. I, one. I just always love the fact that whenever a guy, if he shows up ten pounds heavier, it's I, I needed to put on weight. I got to buy the bulk up, right? If he loses ten pounds, it's like I'm faster. I'm more nimble. <laughs> it's like I'm going to spin it positive right. unless uh, you're Trent Richardson. It's always going to be spun positive. <laughs> Whatever your weight is. Uh, Jim Ursay saying Marlon Mack could approach 1,500 yards in 2018. Uh, you cheer for a team where the owner is fond of making pronouncements about players. Uh, I mean, how much, do you, how much do we take into account what Jim Ursay or any owner has to say about a player's potential? Off the top of your head, can you tell me the last time the Colts had a 1,500-plus yard rusher? I cannot. 2005. Edron James. Okay. So we're coming up on 13 years <laughs> right. since they've cracked the 1,500-yard barrier. So maybe, as if you weren't going to pump the brakes already, <laughs> maybe <laughs> pump them again. Uh, I'm, I'm totally okay with that. Marlon Mack, I, I imagine, will be in a committee. We've, seen, we've heard about Naheem Hines and Jordan Wilkins. Uh, there are guys there who I think may stand in the way of, of this 1,500 yards. be great. I just don't see it happening. Uh, finally, Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy brushes off Pat Mahomes' practice hiccups. Mahomes has thrown some picks uh, in practice. Th- that's just part of the learning curve for for a I won't say a rookie because he was there last year, but a young quarterback. It's yeah, just, it's just it's part of the learning curve. I'd imagine you, you you can't you don't want it, but you also have to kind of expect it at some point. Yeah, although I will say this: Look, I'm obviously not in Kansas City's building. I'm not there for practices. Um, watched them play last year. Watched Patrick Mahomes play a lot in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I did feel like the unbridled optimism felt a little rushed. Mm-hmm. You know, here's a guy who w- we wanted to give him all this credit for really pushing Alex Smith to right. explore the deep ball more last year and take more risks. And we saw uh, the start against Denver and, and saw some things. Right. Hey, I get it. I get the optimism. <laughs> if you're a Chiefs fan, you, you obviously want to be optimistic about your team. But it just felt like he hasn't taken an, enough – live fire in games to feel like, hey, we're ready to hand the reins over. And I just wonder if maybe there's a reason 
they're being so aggressive about tamping down the interceptions if it's if it's like let's let's calm the ship and not rock the kids confidence from a PR perspective right right now I, I can agree with that and then the thing I liked about Mahomes the thing I said about him coming out of Texas Tech was like for better or worse first of all he plays quarterback like a shortstop which you know because of his baseball baseball background yeah not a major surprise and I like everybody else, love his potential, and especially if you you know you're in a keeper league, you're in a dynasty league. His future seems bright, his ceiling seems high. I just I imagine going into this year, he will have games where he just wows you and does amazing mm-hmm. things, and then he'll have moments where he makes a throw where you're like, what are you doing? And I just I you know I think you just have to kind of bake that into your expectations of knowing that yeah they he will have games that you know I could see him having a game where he throws for 350 and three or four touchdowns. He'll also have a game where he gives you, you know, a buck 75 and three picks. I mean, I just I think that's going to be life with Mahomes this year. I don't want to make the lazy comparison, but maybe you're signing up for a little bit of the Brett Favre experience mm-hmm. where like, look, you got a guy who can sling it right. and you got to take the fact that there's going to be a few times he tries to force it. He tries to put it up, gets too much air into the balls. He's a young quarterback that, that, that that's going to happen. Right. I do feel like, uh, we saw him last year at the Super Bowl, came by for an interview, and I remember thinking, man, you are a lot bigger than I thought. <laughs> and I'm sure he's put on weight after uh, joining the Chiefs, but up top, he was a lot sturdier than I'd expected. And I, I, that makes you a little bit more excited about, A, the gunslinger, B, the ability to take some hits, because he always looked like that guy was a little too skinny right. when he was at Texas Tech. But, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for him just because I think he plays a fun style of football. Absolutely. No, I think he plays a fun, a fun style of football, and I, I'm interested to see him working with Andy Reid and, and have a chance to be a full-time starter in Kansas City. Should be pretty, pretty interesting. And that's, that's pretty much all the news that you need to know. That was the news. All right. <laughs> well, over the weekend, I guess last week, I should say, on Thursday, uh, the NFL season sort of kicked off. We had our first preseason game of the year, the Hall of Fame game. Ravens beat the Bears 17-16. to It was not necessarily the most exciting affair. We pretty much saw next to no starters. But there's always something, I think, that can be learned from preseason games. You learn how coaches are going to operate a little bit. You see – they're not. You know, neither team went deep into the playbook, but you kind of got a sense of what they wanted to do. Uh, some of the highlights, Robert Griffin III, 58 passing yards, a touchdown and a pick. Lamar Jackson, who we were all excited to see, uh, 25 rushing yards. He had 33 uh, passing yards, a touchdown and an interception. Saw Chase Daniel get a lot of work for the Bears. Uh, he had a touchdown, a couple of picks. Benny Cunningham ran the ball well early on. Javon Wims, a little bit of a surprise. Seven catches and 89 yards there for the Bears. But, you know, again, I know you – know, People kind of poo-poo uh, preseason saying there's nothing to be learned there. But I, I think there's always something. And for you, Mark, going into this, did, did you have any expectations of what you wanted to see? And, and if so, did, did you see what you, you hoped to see? I wanted to see Lamar Jackson we all fall did. out. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I'm, I'm certainly uh, in good company there. Uh, I, I, I was hoping to see some flashes. Mm-hmm. And I thought, again, Benny Cunningham uh, – even just the way you can kind of throw out the statue, just the way he ran the football, I right. thought felt decisive. It was interesting to have watched uh, RG3 play in this game and then Lamar Jackson mm-hmm. because it's a contrast in styles for guys who are very similar, mm-hmm. uh, obviously in their skill set. Um, but I-, I thought watching Robert early in that game, it felt like I was watching the same RG3 I've seen in recent years. Nothing really surprised me. He, you know, has an arm. 
sometimes, has some <laughs> wheels sometimes. Right. But I've always felt like he was a very indecisive mm. runner at this level, at least after his rookie year. Then you look at Lamar Jackson. Not scared yet. <laughs> I mean, decisive, knows where he's going to go. Right. Electric. Um, again, the comparisons I think are a little too easy to make to RG3, but to have seen him in the same game, uh, look, you don't love the numbers from right. Lamar, but I'm just happy to see him play some football. Right. No, we were all excited, and I, you know, it was – for for people watching, especially to kind of follow along on Twitter, you could sense the frustration from the fans because we wanted to see Lamar right now, yeah. right away. And and the Ravens held him off until the second half, which if if you're NBC, it was great because it you know it kept it kept viewers around yeah. into the third quarter. But I'm with you. It he wasn't he wasn't terrible. He wasn't great. It was just it was sort of like he was kind of feeling out the game a little bit. Sure. Uh, I again. The knock on him coming out was that here's a guy who, from his biggest critics, is not capable of playing at the next level. Mm-hmm. I think that what we saw, at least in a meaningless preseason game, showed that, hey, he, he, he doesn't not belong out here. Right. So, all right, so now that we've set that as hopefully the floor, where can he go? Right. What's next? And I think that's that's the big key. I mean, I, you know, I think in our wildest dreams, at least in my wildest dreams, at some point he – he pushes Joe Flacco for the starting job, and not right away. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think if we saw anything, it's that Flacco is is cemented as the starter there in Baltimore, at least in the early part of the season. But I want to watch Lamar Jackson develop and mm-hmm. watch him grow. And and I, I still kind of hold out hope that uh, either he, he pushes Flacco or even if things kind of go sideways in Baltimore midway through the season, that, that John Harbaugh decides, Let, let's get the kid in here and see what he can do. I also think, I mean, look, having watched him play in college – Here's a guy who is just electric, and he he might be RG3. He might flash out on the scene and, and, and surprise you and then have a mediocre career after that. But the way he played at Louisville, that Heisman season, what should have been two Heisman seasons statistically, All right. I, I just feel like he's one of those guys where when he gets on the field, he makes things happen. And there are so few guys at his level. I mean, it was, you know, Peak Michael Vick, we saw that same skill level uh, in terms of just wow, eye-popping moments. I-, I hope that we see more of it. Obviously, they took him for a reason. I think this kid deserves a shot to establish himself as an NFL quarterback. Right, and he's a guy who certainly in dynasty leagues is drawing a lot of attention. You know, I, he's not going to get drafted in a lot of just regular redraft leagues just because right now there's no opportunity for him right. to start. But you know, you mentioned RG3. I think another name that, that people have brought up is Deshaun Watson, is a guy who was, who was mobile. We saw in Houston last year, you know, they started the year with Tom Savage. The offense wasn't going anywhere. The offensive line was bad. Deshaun Watson comes in, and just his mobility alone changed things. The fact that even with an offensive line that struggled to protect him, he could get out of the pocket. He could extend plays. And I think the the hope is there that Lamar Jackson can kind of be that same guy. Well, and, and I'm glad that you brought up Deshaun Watson because the – Again, you look at the teams that passed on him, and I don't know how you watched him play at Clemson and the caliber of play that he both went up against and how well he played in those games and acquitted himself. And, and look, winners know how to win. Yep. And, and I, to me, I'm not a scout. You know, I, I'm not Daniel Jeremiah breaking down film, so I don't claim to have that kind of insight. But I know when you watch guys that just have that, that special something right. where they know how to win, that – that matters to me. Yeah. No, I mean, especially when you talk about Watson. I mean, this is a guy who went toe-to-toe with Alabama. Yes. Multiple years in a row, you know, um, which, you know, the preeminent college football program, the, the closest thing, I guess, uh, like, a, like a 4A. It's somewhere between, you know, college yeah. and, and NFL. They're like a 4A program, sort of, 
and and Deshaun Watson went toe to toe. And I, th- I, I think the maybe that's a the great topic set. for another time. Could the Alabama defense like where would they rank? Where would they among rank among the thirty two? <laughs> would they be thirty one? Would they be thirty three? Would they be right? Where would twenty four? Interesting. It's at least a fun conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, real quick about RG three too. I mean, you, you mentioned you, you saw kind of what you're used to seeing with him. Is it enough? I don't think he sticks with Baltimore. I think they've got their guys. But is it enough that maybe somebody else gives him a shot this year? The, the, what I think is so hard about RG3 watching and playing, trying to judge, you know, what his game could look like as a successful NFL quarterback is, he shows you those flashes. Mm-hmm. He, he'll spin out of a tackle. He will put a ball on a dime to somebody 40 yards downfield, and it looks effortless. And then he has this just ridiculous boneheaded decision, or he takes an awkward tackle. He, mm-hmm. you know, he, it's like a guy never learned how to slide. You watch right. uh, Russell Wilson in Seattle. If I was RG three, I would just watch loops of him yep. sliding and avoiding contact. That, that's what I feel like makes him so frustrating to try to evaluate. Mm-hmm. Is which can he continue to focus on the things he does well and minimize the things he doesn't? Yeah. You talk about him getting hit. Like it's just something about him when when he gets hit, it looks worse than awkward when other people. And he hit. even had it the other night. There was one where he sprints out of bounds and he gets tackled, and it's like he he plants his his leg weird and it like bends funny. And you're like, dude, you've had what feels like 22 knee surgeries. Right. <laughs> Learn how to slide. I and I always figured you know when he was in Washington and now in Baltimore, like there are major league baseball teams in those cities. Why not? Why not pair him up? With the Orioles. Look, like, send him over to the Orioles, the Camden Yards, and get some sliding practice. Go, go, look, worse comes to worse. Go find a Little League team that has a slip and slide set up with their something. practice and their pop-up slides. Right. Get yourself just, some sliding just, practice. Just something, man. Because it, really, I mean, had he been able to stay healthy in his uh, NFL career, maybe. I think it's a different situation. Yeah, right? I think it is. You know? I, I, the reps. All the of it. Ability to not play scared. Mm-hmm. No, I think, I think you're 100% right. So, I don't know. I'm I'm curious. I, I – I would like to see him get a shot somewhere. I don't think it's going to be in Baltimore. We'll see whether or not uh, you know that's that's step one onto onto something. Bigger. We love redemption stories. We you do. This would be a great one. We absolutely do. It's been a long off season without football, but FanDuel has spent it getting into the best shape of their lives. That means FanDuel is ready for more. Because I mean, they're BSOHL. More ways to play. More ways to challenge your friends, and most importantly, more ways to win. If you're not a fantasy expert, then FanDuel is clearly the best place to play. They have all kinds of contests just for casual fans. In particular, beat the score contests are great because they pay out everyone who hits a certain score. So all you have to do is finish in the money to split an equal share of the cash. FanDuel also has new options for playing with your friends because... The only thing better than winning cash is winning your friend's cash. Heck yeah. Best of all, FanDuel is doing their part to make the preseason bearable with preseason fantasy contests running up to week one of the NFL. Right now, you can get a $20 bonus when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. That's free money right there. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash Fantasy Live. That's FanDuel.com slash Fantasy Live. Age and state restrictions apply. Well, time for a little something different here. Uh, Let's go take a trip to the lab. Well, one of the things uh, that I love about fantasy football Twitter is that I I sort of look at it as the experimental wing of the toy department. It is kind of its own laboratory uh, where guys guys and girls, everybody can kind of go and and put out their own theories, their own formulas, and they are sort of stress-tested against the rest of fantasy football Twitter. And I want to 
on this show, kind of bring on some of the people who are doing some of this work, who are creating some of these metrics and, and having their own theories and, uh, and kind of exposing everybody to these because I feel like it makes us all smarter, not just as fantasy managers, but just as football fans as well. And so one of the people I really wanted to talk to was Graham Barfield, senior analyst at Fantasy Guru. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Graham Barfield. Graham, how you doing, man? Doing well. I'm doing well. It's great to talk to you again, Marcus. So I appreciate you uh, you having me on the show here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things that you have done is that uh, you are the person who invented the the yards created statistic. And so for for the uninitiated, just explain briefly what is yards created. Sure. Um, yards created is kind of this proprietary statistic that I started in 2016, and it measures college running back performance. And basically, the easiest way I can explain it is that it measures what the running back actually accounts for in his own. So we all know offensive line and, uh, and running back play is highly, highly correlated, but what Yards Created tries to do is separate the offensive line yardage blocked and the yard the running back creates after the offensive line has or has not done its job. All right, so because of that, you went through, I know you've the last couple of years have kind of ranked some of the incoming running backs uh, based on, on how they scored. Uh, this year, no surprise, Saquon Barkley is is head and shoulders above everybody else. I think you know, every fantasy analyst has talked about Saquon you know, to the ends of the earth. So we'll kind of move away from him. But your next guy down, Sony Michelle, um, you know, is a guy that that certainly is interesting. I know a lot of fantasy folks have have gotten really high on him. Uh, he he scored very well in yards created. Now he's in a backfield that. I know the Patriots, generally the Patriots' backfield tends to scare people, but I think we've started to kind of cut through some of the noise there. But now, with Sonny Michelle there, are we limiting him just by kind of saying he's Deon, he's the new Deion Lewis? Is is that what he is, or is he more than that? Sonny Michelle was fantastic in my yards created metrics, Marcus. Um, I know Georgia's offensive line was top-notch. In fact, they're actually first in yards blocked per attempt over the last three years, but Michelle routinely created on his own on a per-carry basis. In fact, over the last three years, Michelle ranks only second to Joe Mixon in percentage of carries to create five or more yards. Uh, Saquon Barkley, Alvin Kamara, and Kareem Hunt round out that top five over the last three draft classes. And again, like Michelle was dominant uh, when Georgia faced neutral boxes. So a neutral box would be there's no blocking advantage. Um, the offensive line and the blocking scheme is matched up to the defense. Michelle actually led the class in yards created versus neutral boxes averaging nearly 6.8 yards created per attempt in those uh, situations. That was two full yards above the class average. Uh, the bigger, biggest concern right now for me, Marcus, is Michelle's knee. Um, he has kind of an extensive injury history going back to even high school, and now he just had his knee drained, and it sounds like he's going to miss probably the majority of the, the preseason. I don't know about you, Marcus, but I was pretty heavily targeting these Patriots running backs right. like I do almost every year, but it's pretty unfortunate that Michelle – Sounds like he's going to miss uh, some significant time and some uh, significant practice reps with the Patriots. Yeah, and I know that's that's a definitely a big concern for a guy that, again, I think people had high hopes for. I mean, how much do you feel like that's going to knock him down draft value-wise? Yeah, I was targeting him pretty heavily, heavily in the fourth and fifth round of, uh, of my drafts. I think right now the sweet spot will probably be in that late six. I think I would take Rex Burkhead over him mm-hmm. uh, to start. But you got to keep in mind – Keep in mind here, Michelle flashed big receiving potential at Georgia and actually tied with Saquon Barkley in pass protection execution rate at 93%. It was uh, the second best clip for any rookie running back over the last three years. So Michelle can do it all. He's a fantastic runner who creates on his own. 
flash big receiving potential, and he's great. He's a great pass protector. Uh, but again, it's the Patriots. We know Belichick likes to play tricks with his running backs. I'm still investing in Michelle when he kind of slips into that sixth and seventh round range, but I think Burkhead is, is the running back you want to own at this point in New England. Uh, one of the the guys you you said was underrated, uh, according to Yards Created, was uh, Rashad Penny. And, and I know right after the draft, people were very high on him. I mean, you know, the, the thought being that the, you know, the, the Seahawks went and got him early. There, there must be something there, right? And now, you know, we're hearing stuff about Chris Carson and Pete Carroll is talking up Chris Carson. Is this, is this just a smokescreen? Is this potentially just going to be a committee there in Seattle, you think? Well, Pete Carroll is the – ever optimist like everything <laughs> that comes out of his mouth is is optimistic um I, i've learned through my years in fantasy listening to pete carroll and trying to diagnose what he says just take everything with a grain of salt mm-hmm. um that being said let's just look through common sense right like rashad penny was a surprise first round pick um i don't know if the seahawks should have spent the the early draft capital on a running back with their roster but they did and rashad penny smashed yards credit he was fantastic marcus he's actually the only running back in the class to post above average yards created per attempt figures, both against stack and neutral front. The stack box is um, any, uh, any play where a running back faces at least, at least one extra defender in the box. And to that point, Penny was fantastic in between the tackles. We know the Seahawks uh, run blocking scheme of the last couple of years has not been very great under their former offensive line, excuse, excuse me, uh, their offensive line coach, Tom Cable, but Penny was great. Um, he was the fifth best runner in between the tackles over the last three years behind only Joe Mixon, Kamara Hunt, and a guy named Ezekiel Elliott. Um, Rashad Penny's fantastic. I think he's going to push for 300 touches. I don't know how efficient they'll be with the Seahawks offensive line and, and Brian Schottenheimer calling the plays, but I kind of think it's more of a smokescreen. I, I don't necessarily think we're looking at a full-blown committee here. Talking to Graham Barfield, senior analyst at Fantasy Guru, talking about yards created for some of these rookie running backs coming into the league this year. Uh, one that is, is near and dear to my heart, just because I'm a USC alum, is Ronald Jones. And, and I know you wrote that he was one that you sort of had a hard time figuring out. Um, just because of, you know, between the U- USC offensive line not being all that great, but, but Rojo himself struggling to kind of create yards on his own. Now he lands in Tampa with an offensive line that, that is just sort of middle of the road. I mean, how do you see this potentially working out? Sure, yeah. To start, USC's offensive line was pretty poor. Um, I think they were second or third worst in the class this past year. But Ronald Jones was definitely an enigma for me. Um, amongst this year's running back crop, Jones ranked second worst in yards created per attempt. He created five or more, five or more yards on just 22% of his rushes. That was the third worst clip in the class. His pass pro execution rate, Marcus, was 55%. That was the worst clip in yards created history, again, over the last three years. But we got to look at the situation. Even though his yards created uh, data kind of has some pretty big red flags in it, the Bucks' backfield is wide open. His only competition for touches is Jaquiz Rogers, uh, Peyton Barber, who is you know, a fine, you know, fine uh, backup running back, but is nothing special in terms of his ability to create after, uh, after contact and force missed tackles. Uh, Dirk Cutter has, in Tampa Bay, even with all of their kind of mismatched pieces over the last couple of years, he's preferred a workhorse running back. Um, his lead running back in any starting game has averaged 60% of team carries in that game. That's very, very high. Only five running backs saw 60% of, or more team carries last year. So I'm, I'm in on Rojo big time this year. I know, I know you're a USC fan, USC alum. Um, I've kind of turned my... Uh, I guess analysis around a little bit on Rojo, just because 
he's still pretty cheap in fantasy, and I, I really like the fact that his – uh, the backfield is wide open there in Tampa Bay. Yeah, I do think he's a good fit. I mean, I, I agree that he he did struggle sort of in the open field a little bit. I you know I I feel like he's a he's definitely worth taking a, a shot at, especially in the middle round. So, uh, you know, I do like the situation there. One guy who's I just have not been as big on Royce Freeman as I think a lot of people are, and I know that he didn't score too well in in yards created. And now it seems like he is locked in a battle with Devontae Booker. I mean, I don't know. Am I crazy for just thinking that I, I really just want to wash my hands of the Denver backfield right now? Yeah, I'm with you. We're locked up here. I've been targeting Devontae Booker in the double-digit rounds and kind of ignoring Royce Freeman in that fifth and sixth round range. Um, I get he was a huge producer at Oregon. He had almost well over six, uh, 6,400 yards from scrimmage in college. But, I mean, his yards per day was just kind of meh. Um, he's a 45th percentile score in terms of his yards created per attempt, uh, on inside carries 42nd percentile on outside carries kind of below average and missed tackles force per attempt. Um, just not that great of yards created data. And now he has to go battle touches, uh, with, uh, Devonte Booker. My, I, I guess the only redeeming factor here, Marcus, for me is I, I think the Broncos will go really run heavy with their kind of retooled, revamped defense this year and with better quarterback play in Case Keenum. Over the last few years, Denver is the 12th most run heavy team when the score is neutral, and they're actually the second most run heavy team when they're ahead by three or more points. So, Royce Freeman definitely has, you know, 200, 220 carries in his range of outcomes, but for me, it's kind of hard to target a fifth or, you know, you know, target a running back in the fifth or sixth round if I can't guarantee they're going to catch more than 25 or 30 balls. It's kind of just a shaky bet for me in those mid-rounds. Speaking with Graham Barfield from Fantasy Guru, uh, staying in Denver, you wrote about some of your favorite mid-round receivers, and you had Emmanuel Sanders in that list. And, you know, obviously, at least what seems to be an upgraded quarterback with Case Keenum coming in, Sanders working out of the slot. Keenum, you mentioned, likes to throw to guys in the slot. Does this mean there's a revival in the works there? Oh, yes. I'm big time on Manny Sanders this year. Um, look, I mean, over the last two years, I don't think people have really realized this because Manny was kind of in and out of the lineup last year dealing with a pretty bad ankle problem. But over the last two years, Damaris Thomas has seen 8.9 targets per game. That's nearly a 25% share of Denver targets, while Sanders' opportunity has been right behind him. Uh, Sanders has averaged 8.5 targets per game, nearly a 24% share in that span. Um, you mentioned that um, that Case Keenum likes to throw to his slot receivers. And he and Adam Thielen had a fantastic connection last year. Uh, Thielen ran, ran about 50% of his routes from the slot last year. And Manny Sanders' slot usage has increased now three years in a row. Last year, um, uh, just under 30% of his total routes came from the slot last year. I think he'll be their interior receiver again now that Cortland Sutton is there. And Demaris Thomas is stuck on the outside. The, the Broncos have a fantastic three-receiver set, especially if Cortland Sutton is as good as the camp reports are coming out. So I think Sanders is a fantastic sixth, seventh, eighth-round pick. I've you know taken him in you know the ninth round as value. I've moved up and taken him in the sixth round just because I love him so much this year. I think he's he's uh, he's got a decent chance to actually score out uh, outscore DT in fantasy. Uh, and then Nelson Aguilar, I mean, obviously had a breakout season last year in Philadelphia, and I know he's a guy that, that you really like this year. I, I'd love to see him keep it going if he could. Any concerns, though, that maybe Mike Wallace kind of takes away a little bit from, from what Aguilar ends up doing? I like Mike Wallace late, too. I, you know, Marcus, my, one of my biggest things in fantasy is I want to just target cheap pieces of great passing offenses. And I know Carson Wentz is coming off an ACL, 
We're expecting maybe his touchdowns to regress a little bit this year. But Aguilar has stayed in that ninth or tenth round while Alshon Jeffrey is routinely a fourth or fifth round pick. I kind of just don't get it. Um, Aguilar saw 25 fewer targets in the regular season than Alshon Jeffrey, but he finishes the wide receiver 30 in fantasy points per game, whereas Jeffrey was the wide receiver 28. Um, over the whole season, Aguilar saw 20 red zone targets to Jeffrey's 21. And I know we're kind of drafting Jeffrey for the touchdown upside, but in terms of usage last year, Aguilar and Jeffrey in the red zone were were nearly similar. So for me, I'm, I'm targeting Aguilar, Aguilar help, uh, heavily in the ninth and 10th round and kind of just avoiding Alshon Jeffrey at cost. All right, uh, Graham, as I like to do with all my guests here, I like to uh, kind of ask them sort of a, a pick to pop, just a piece of pop culture. It's a movie, book, TV, music, whatever, that, that you're kind of digging right now uh, that, that you feel like everybody should check out. My big thing right now, Marcus, is I've been binging uh, and actually rewatching the okay. whole Peaky Blinders season. Uh, all four seasons are on Netflix. It was originally a BBC show, and I think Netflix bought the rights. But it's got like two of my favorite actors ever, Killian Murphy and Tom Hardy, and they have just a few scenes in the show, but they're always classics. Um, it's kind of a set in the you know post-World War era in England about a gang, and it's just got great music. The shot extremely well, and the acting is phenomenal. So I don't know. Have you have you seen Peaky Blinders yet? I have not. And you say Tom Hardy's in it. My my first question then is, does he actually does he actually do you see his face? I feel like every in everything Tom Hardy is in, he's like wearing a mask or something. So do you actually get to see his face in this? You do. His wife <laughs> is in it too, which I was very surprised. At. His wife is in it as well, and it, Tom does wear a hat most of the time. But no, you can you can see his face. He's, okay. he's fantastic in the show. All right, cool. I will uh, I will definitely check that out. Uh, Graham, fantastic stuff. Appreciate you coming by, man. Uh, keep doing what you do, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time, Marcus. Hey, thanks to Graham Barfield for stopping by. You can check him out at Fantasy Guru. You can also find him on Twitter, of course, at Graham Barfield. Love talking uh, to that guy. Very smart guy. Lots, lots of good stuff there. Um, one thing we didn't talk about, Mark, when we talked about the uh, the Hall of Fame game, the the new helmet rules, the new tackling rules. Uh, you know, it was certainly a source of confusion coming into this into that game. Uh, after the game, I don't know that we've cleared anything up. I think we are equally as confused. Is, it, is, is this going to be an overbearing rule, or, or is this just too soon to panic? Because we only had one actual game with this. I mean, I think we are going to see a lot more confusion and head-scratching uh, before it's all said and done. I think we're going to see more analysts weigh in, just like we did the other night. I can't figure this rule out. I don't understand it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm somebody who I think, I think I'm an outlier when you talk to a lot of fans. I am generally in favor of any rule – that is designed to make the game safer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were there this summer when we uh, heard from um, Al Rivera about a river on about why this rule is important, why we need to just do whatever we can to make the game as safe as possible for, um, for players. And I think there's going to be a pretty steep learning curve when it comes to how they apply calling this rule, how, they are able to get defenders to tackle better mm-hmm. where they keep the head out of it. I think there's going to be incidental contact, which to most people looks like football that they've always seen mm-hmm. and rooted for that's going to get called. So, yeah, I do think it's going to be a lot more uh, – uh, there will be more controversy, more hand-wringing, pearl-clutching about this yeah. uh, in the weeks and months to come. Yeah, I, and I'm – there is going to be an adjustment period, I think, for players and officials alike um, as to, to what gets called, how it gets called. I'm curious to see how much it changes the way guys play. I mean, 
you know, we're talking about you know, guys who have been playing football their whole lives now suddenly being asked to do something, you know, that is kind of foreign to them. So I, I do think there's going to be an adjustment period. But like everything else in this league, people find a way to, I think, adjust and move on, right? Yeah, I, I mean, we have how much ink has been spilled about the catch rule <laughs> right. um, my, my hope and and i i do believe that the league's uh motives are in the right place here and i think that we'll see how the first weeks the first months of this go how the first season of it goes and i imagine we'll see some tweaking um i'm sure it's going to affect outcomes of games right you know big calls and big moments um but at the end of the day personally i don't have fun it's not fun for me to see a guy get carted off right. on a stretcher. It's not fun for me to see a guy uh, quit playing football because of an injury that could have been prevented by a rule like this. So uh, I, I think we're going to wring our hands about it, but I hope in the long run it's for the health of players and the health of the, of the league. No, I agree. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, it'll be interesting to – I'm sure it will be discussed ad nauseum uh, before the end of the year. Finally, uh, look at that drum loop. All right, text a couple of tweets before we get out of here. One from Armando Salguero, who covers the Miami Dolphins. And uh, in case you haven't seen, uh, Adam Gaze listed Frank Gore and Kenyon Drake as an either-or on the depth chart. People asked him why he did that, and he said, quote, just to be a bleep hole. Uh, let's just say he was a b-hole, and he studied real hard <laughs> and moved up one. Uh <laughs> Can we just put a beep in there? Just, like, just so we, even if we don't really say the just, word. Right? Just, just to get the beep. Yeah, just to be in. Beep. Oh, there, there we go. go. <laughs> that was, nice. go. That was nicely done. Um, this is just, this is like, this is training camp smokescreen stuff, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I like the fact that he owns it. Right. Like, he just said, I'm just doing this to mess with guys. Right. Cool. That's All right. I'm done with that. Uh, last one, tweet from Chris. How about a section on the show where you address early round bench warmers? There's always instances where people, me, start a player just because I drafted them early and they scored zero-ish. As an analyst, to guide me would help as would using you as a scapegoat. Chris, if you want to use me as a scapegoat, go right ahead. I have been called worse things than uh, being a scapegoat. By the way, I love the fact you drafted a guy early, so you got to start you gotta him. It's not like you're paying him money. Right? It's not like you're an owner and you drafted him in the first round and you got to get an ROI. People, people seem to have this like this, 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 this attachment to their early round draft picks. Like they have to, they have to play them. That's just how people feel. So, anyway, that will do it for this edition of the NFL Fantasy Live podcast. Thanks to Graham Barfield, thanks to Mark Instook for stopping by, and thanks as always to producer Christina behind the glass. Always remember, real G's move in silence like lasagna. We'll see you on Thursday. <laughs>go into your shower feeling tired but as soon as you reach for the irish spring your day immediately gets better that crisp fresh unmistakable irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses so when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it irish spring body wash and bar soap fresh green irish shop now at a store near you When you pull up to game night in the all-new Camry, but it's actually bingo night. Mini golf, anyone? It's a Camry vibe. The all-new, all-hybrid Camry, Toyota. Let's go places. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. 
or home to vibes like this and this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like, Whoa. and hmm. not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team ranking as a top culinary destination in the world be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer.